Howdy, it's me, Jade, and I am really jazzed for this episode. You see, I had the opportunity to work with Madison on one of her fashion shows last year, which we'll talk more about later, and it was a joy to see her execute her vision on such a mass scale. I'm really excited to see what she goes on to do in the future, and you will be too after you hear the episode. Speaking of, episode 7 of On The Way is coming right up, and remember, this is a WGC production. Madison Starbrin is a fashion designer, writer, producer, and community building activist who focuses her work in empowerment through the arts. A multifaceted creative individual, Madison prides herself in utilizing her creativity to give a voice to the voiceless and most marginalized with the intention of bringing her local community together. Madison hopes to one day utilize entertainment as a resource to inspire the minds of the youth while providing them with political education. Ultimately, Madison hopes to use all the gifts God gave her to inspire, empower, and uplift people around the world. Hey, Madison, how are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing pretty good, I must say. I'm doing really well, actually, because you're here, and I'm really excited to talk to you and see what's happening in your mind. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. So grateful to be reconnected with you. All right. So I'm going to start this off with the first question. I ask this to everyone. So where do you come from? Where are your roots? So originally, I am from Westchester, New York, Mount Vernon, and New Rochelle. Born and raised, I'm a real Westchester girl. I have three generations of family from Mount Vernon, so my roots are there. But my maternal side of the family originates from Jamaica and Tokyo, Japan. And my father is Black American, so a little bit of cultural history back in reference. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so could you just describe what you do for me and my listeners? What do you consider your creative field? Well, I am a writer. I produce events. I'm a fashion designer. I curate programs for the community. I'm always looking for ways to sort of create bridges and just empower people through creativity. So I do a little bit of everything, but mostly I like to focus my work in things that help bring people together and help give people a sense of community through artistry. And how did you discover that's what you wanted to do? I've always been very creative and I always enjoyed utilizing different materials, ideas, and putting things together that most people wouldn't think about doing. I've always been a very out-of-the-box thinker. And when I got to college, when I went to Howard, it gave me the opportunity to put my gifts in one basket almost and utilize them in different ways. And what I started to realize was that certain abilities or certain skill sets that I have would be able to be manifested in other arenas that I didn't necessarily see before. So I realized, okay, my gifts aren't so separate it's more so a chain of different abilities that kind of come together and work off of each other. Okay, so with this chain of chain of abilities, what do you do to make sure they stay sharp? What do you do to craft them and develop them to make sure they can be the best they can be? I'm always, always, always reading. Outside of design, I think that a lot of my skill comes from my writing. So. I'm always reading, I'm always researching, I'm always learning about new things. I'm very mindful of the conversations that I have and I'm very mindful of the people that I surround myself with and my intention and having a certain level of self-awareness 
keeps me on top of my craft because it is a part of my being. So I think that when I'm in a good place, when I feel aligned, when I feel confident and when I know that I'm doing the self-work, the inner work, it's easier to stay on top of the things that I'm passionate about because they just flow through me. So I, I always remain invested into my craft. I'm always researching and reading about people and learning what they did and drawing inspiration from others to sort of fuel my fire. And I also had recently completed the Women in Entertainment Empowerment Network Academy program that is co-founded by Valicia Butterfield-Jones, Sabrina Thompson, Christy Henderson, and Lauren Lake. And those are four very powerful women in the industry. And that definitely helped me continue to just learn and stay on top of my craft. So always reaching out, remaining humble, and just staying focused, I would say. Okay. Okay. So you just said a lot and I have a lot of questions to ask you based off of what you just said. So let me start with the first one. (laughs) What are you reading right now? Right now I'm reading this book called You Are What You Say. And it's low key like a self-help book, but not really because it has exercises and stuff, but it has more so to do with language. It's by Matthew Budd and Larry Rothstein. And it's basically about mindfulness and how mindfulness can heal the body and how a lot of our reality is based off of what we tell ourselves and what our accepted truths are. So right now I'm reading that and it's been really eye-opening and it's caused me to challenge myself in ways that I didn't necessarily think to before. So that was pretty cool. All right. Okay. So my question, question, you mentioned that you like to reference different works that people did before. So what is your aesthetic influence? whether it be a person or a specific design or a school of design, what's the greatest aesthetic influence on your design and writing and et cetera? Hmm, that's a great question. I would say, hmm, as far as aesthetics go, I'm always constantly find myself inspired by Hype Williams. I think that he does an amazing job of storytelling and utilizing different forms of creativity to bring a whole different form or vision into the world. And I really admire that about his career, his ability to bring life to vision and to fit the need of the artistry, like to be able to invoke the best artistry. It's not necessarily about the person as much as as it is about the art. And I feel like he does an excellent job of that. And I would also say the 70s, that whole decade really inspires me so much. I just love the aesthetics of it, the time, the music, the sound. It's very unique to me. So those are two things that immediately come to mind. Of course, my mother, who is a celebrity fashion stylist, she definitely served as the biggest inspiration just because that's who I grew up seeing. And her influence was in 90s hip-hop fashion till today. So just to have those three things sort of in the back of my mind has contributed a lot to my art and how I want to come forth in the world. Okay. And my last question, based off that first answer you gave. So could you tell us more about your experience in the Ween Academy, which again is the Women in Entertainment and Empowerment Academy? So could you just sort of tell us what it was like, how you got in, the whole shebang? So WEAN was so dope because it gave me the opportunity to learn with and from other Black women of all ages because the virtual year, which was, you know, this year of 2020 due to COVID, we didn't have an age limit on who could come. So I had 
Ween sisters who were in the program who were 45 years old, three kids, really with real lives, you know, and not to say that <laughs> we don't have that, but we definitely don't have those levels of responsibilities. And these are people who want to make their dreams come true, who have wisdom also, and have that grit and that grind that we do. So it was definitely dope to be able to learn from not only my Ween sisters, but from the different guest professors that we had multiple times a week that were heavy hitters within the industry that were women of color, who were moving and shaking, who were making a difference, who did see themselves a part of the movement, even if it was on a corporate level or a creative level or a representative level or an activist level or through fashion. So I think that it was very inspiring because a lot of times what we see portrayed in the media and entertainment is a small scope of what's needed. We see the stars, we see the goods and glamour, and we think, oh, that'll be great. But we don't realize all of these amazing people who are running things behind the scenes and are producing these major events and are organizing these people. So it definitely gave me a deeper look into what it really takes to make a mark. And it also helped me clarify, like, to be able to take entertainment and utilize it as a source of empowerment for people of color specifically because we aren't necessarily reading people. We are more of an entertainment-based group of people that we not only love but dominate in the media. So I, it gave me more of a sense of purpose, like, okay, this is a medium that you know, I can use to sort of push my own agenda, <laughs> which is to empower the people. <laughs> it was it was inspiring to learn and take and grow from those experiences, I would definitely say. Okay. So can you tell us about how in the past you've used entertainment to empower people? Could you give us an example of that? Sure. I mean, we definitely can go back to homecoming. Um <laughs> <laughs> where we worked very closely together and it was such an awesome experience, right? So just even with Homecoming, my vision for the Roots Homecoming fashion show uh, in 2019 at Howard was to showcase the versatility of people of color, but how we are so strong in our differences that they're not weaknesses. In fact, they're strengths. And Roots was a journey of Black culture, Black excellence, music, movies, videos, fashion icons. We opened the show with Gucci by Dapper Dan. We had Macy's, Adidas, MCM, April Walker. So there were a lot of different people of color, Black people specifically, who have contributed to fashion that were a part of the show. And the images that I was intentional about using were to uplift our community, we had Angela Davis in there, Malcolm X, Kobe Bryant, Nipsey Hussle. We went from city to city, from L.A. to Chicago to Miami to Atlanta to New York to New Orleans. We were able to showcase that no matter where you were from, and you know from going to Howard, it's so diverse mm -hmm. that no matter where you're from, it's like there was a space for you on that stage. You were represented, you know, and... To me, that was definitely important because while the students were able to walk away feeling empowered, feeling excited, there was also a sense of, I see myself in this. And to me, that's so important. We understand representation and how powerful it is. But when we see each other uplifting each other, when we don't wait for that, and I'm just going to be candid, when we don't wait for the white man or the mainstream media to validate who we are, when we do it amongst each other in our community, there's a certain takeaway from that that I feel like 
is way more powerful, honestly, than what we could ever wait for someone else to do for us. So that's one of the ways that I definitely was intentional about using entertainment as a tool and as a vehicle, rather, for empowerment. So in fashion for the past few years, it seems there's been a constant conversation and reckoning with inclusivity and diversity in fashion world, whether it be in models, designers, just the entire sphere. So Madison, what steps do you take to ensure that there's a diverse range of perspectives on your team? Oh, for me, I'm always constantly asking questions and researching and, I guess, broadening my scope and understanding and aligning myself and becoming an ally to other marginalized communities. I'm not perfect. I don't always get it right. But the curiosity and the want to get to know other people is always there for me. I'm a very naturally loving person. So when things are brought to my attention, I always think to myself, okay, how can I utilize this to further amplify and center voices that aren't in the room? So for me, it's always constantly doing a lot of research, speaking to people who are of that experience, whether they're trans, people of color, people who are on the spectrum. I think that it's important to reach out, even if that's not in my immediate circle. I think we all know somebody that knows somebody or YouTube and Google, and these are all very friendly to us. So taking it upon myself, if that's what I stand for, then even if I don't have someone in my immediate vicinity, it's on me to go out and do that digging and understand that work in order to really align with those values that I say matter to me. So that's how I'm able to do it. And as I continue to grow, I hope to be able to include more people and work with more people in not only build a team, but a community of people that are able to share resources, ideas, and creativity. Well, that's very admirable. I think that's more than a lot of people can say they do. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. So as you've mentioned earlier, we're living in a virtual age currently due to COVID. A lot of stuff is happening, not only with the global pandemic, but also with Black people in America. So how do you find yourself making time for creativity when there is so much that can be overwhelming in the world? Ooh, child, that is a good question because it's like, should we be creative sometimes? <laughs> if it doesn't it feel that way, it can be such a challenge. It can be such a challenge because it's like, oh my goodness, is it insensitive to push creativity when people are suffering, dying, and losing their loved ones. And it's so sad that that's not even an exaggeration. It's literally what's happening in the world, right? But I think that we have to remember is that even in our darkest times, it's artistry that gives us a way out. It's when we utilize our writing. It's when we utilize our singing, our voices, our fashion as a form of protest, as a form of expression, as a way to say to people, this is what matters to us. Even creatively, this is what still matters to us. It's not about the material. It's more so about the emotion. So I think that when we center ourselves as creatives in intention, what do I want people to walk away feeling from me after I share this with the world? Is it my truth? Is it empowerment? It could be anything. But when we're intentional about that, I think that it takes on a whole different being of its own. And... For me, I definitely was one of those people, especially because I'm very passionate about equality and equity and justice, especially within this country as black women. I think we both can agree. It's like, if we're here, we might as well do something. (laughs) And um, 
at first I was very kind of wrapped up in just looking for not necessarily immediate results, but feeling so moved by the movement itself that this was the only thing that I felt I could focus on. But it was when I took a step back and I realized, no, I have to continue to do my work because that work within itself is an act of revolution. I was able to shift my perspective. We can't hold people smaller than who they are. And what I mean by that is everything that you do, especially as a person of color, a black person within this country, is an act of revolution. And I think that if we continue to honor ourselves in that way and we're more intentional about that, then we'll be able to find ourselves utilizing different methods that we never even saw before as a people in order to get that shared liberation that we want. Mm. Very powerful words. Well, then that brings up the question of this. So you're an artist, and of course, no artist wants to be destitute. Artists want to be able to sustain themselves with the art. And one of the arts that you do practice is fashion, which is highly commercialized. Not necessarily, and it's not necessarily a pro-black space. So how do you function and navigate in a space that isn't necessarily always aligned with your values? Oh, that's a good question. (laughs) And honestly, honestly, I'm still figuring it out, right? Because there's, of course, with me growing up under my mother who largely influenced fashion today, if she's not the largest, she's one of. And I think that seeing how much of the challenges that she faced as a Black woman, hearing the stories, hearing how that she would be left out of the conversation intentionally, hearing how some of her peers would, seeing it rather, outside of just hearing it, how some of her peers would short her and not include her. And again, being held small for her art, it definitely lit a fire in, in my stomach to be extremely outspoken about the injustices within the industry. And I was even more inspired to do so after seeing Kirby Jean Raymond and his protest art through fashion. Whether it was his, I think it was the spring 2015 collection where he had I Can't Breathe and it was a whole documentary that he had premiered during the debut of his fashion show. Or whether it's his recent stuff with Adidas. There's a certain non commodified what is the word that I'm looking for? Commodified? Commodification. Yeah, yeah, like there's no commodification of his artistry because it's so unapologetically Black. So I think that, thank you, I hope that goes over well. (laughs) 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 There's a certain freeness that I feel like exists within Black artistry where it's it's undeniable now. The influence of Black fashion, excuse me, is undeniable now. So even in coming into the space, I realized that there's a certain privilege that I have coming up after a Misa Hilton, coming up after a Kirby Jean Raymond, you know, uh, coming up after a Bevy Smith, or of course, uh, Dapper Dan. These people paved the way in the face of injustices and prejudice. So now I feel like it's only right that I continue to marry my activism work with fashion and to be unapologetic in that because at the end of the day what we have to remember as a people too is the truth is on our side we are not saying nothing that didn't happen we are not (laughs) saying nothing Mm -hmm. that we don't deserve we are not talking about nothing that shouldn't be talked about so what i've realized is i won't be shamed into silence i won't allow anyone to make me feel like i have to choose because we are boundless multidimensional beings why do i have to limit myself because it makes people feel uncomfortable no one should ever have to do that 
and the artistry manifests itself in so many different ways and a part of your artistry is always who you are so I think that with those principles alone and I'm sorry I know I kind of went off on a tangent but with those <laughs> no no go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> with those principles alone it it always has empowered me I can't compromise who I am it wouldn't feel right even if it's just you know, for some people, it's, it's only 50,000. To me, that's a lot of people on social media that are actually interested and are following and are, are engaging with my content and actually care about the things that I do as well. So I owe it not only to myself, but to the people who count on me to show up authentically. Hmm, that's okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, is great. I love this. Yeah, this is good. <laughs> I feel like I'm listening to a vintage Angela Davis speech. I'm getting real Nikki Giovanni vibes. I, it's like, oh, yeah. Please don't gas me. I'm about to run around the house. <laughs> uh, okay, okay. Well, I want to ask you about something you said in an interview with Hype Bay last year. You said you were interested in, and this is a direct quote, you said that you, quote, would love to be a part of the editorial side of the fashion industry as well as designing, end quote. Do you still have interest in being the and his whole side of the fashion industry? Um, no, not really. Okay. And so I interned a little bit about that too, right? I interned at Elle Magazine under Kia Gosby, who was a A&T graduate. So another HBCU alum. She's also an AKA, super dope. And interning under her and Samira Nasir definitely opened my eyes to the very real racism within the editorial industry and not only is it racist but they don't want to pay you or they want to pay you two cents for every dollar that you work and try to basically take advantage of you and to me like while i really thought okay i can sacrifice your tremendous opportunity here i realized like as a writer too right i'm marrying fashion and writing for a second it's up to us to tell our own stories. And I don't want to align myself in a capitalist space where people are getting taken advantage of and it's the nepotism is super real and not for nothing, I'll call out my own, you know, BS. That's the only reason I get in the room is because of nepotism. So I'm like, <laughs> what about the people who never see these opportunities because they can't afford it, one, and two, because they're not the right what, whether it's color, gender, whatever, you know, whatever these things are now that people are looking for to discriminate against you for. But yeah, it's, it made me really take a step back. And then after speaking with some other uh, executives and higher up people within the industry that are people of color, I learned from them too, that you don't have to align with something that you don't necessarily see yourself taking full advantage of out of the idea that there will be more like opportunity or you'll be in the right place or you know it's, it's sort of like a compromise a self-compromise in order to get to the bag or get to the material gain that really honestly and truthfully what is that going to do if you're not happy with yourself and where you're at so for me it was like the editorial industry it seemed nice it seemed like there was a tremendous opportunity there but when I looked at when we're talking about what we value I just didn't align with it and I feel like while I would love to work with these people and work in those spaces to maybe shift some things I don't see myself working for anyone else like I said I'd rather tell I'd rather us tell our own story and have our own 
our own publications where we're honoring and respecting the work that everybody brings to the table and not oppressing a group of people to continue to make money off of another group of people. It's just not going to work like that for me. I understand that completely. Before we move on to more of your social justice work and writing work, I just want to clarify, if not editorial, fashion design is where you're at in the fashion world. That is what you want to do? Yes, absolutely. All right. One more question then. I lied. One more question. So since you do want to be and already are a fashion designer, what steps do you take to make sure that your work is accessible to people from a variety of classes? So kind of like how Teflon makes fashion for everyone, how do you, if that's something you even want to do, make it accessible to people with a variety of economic backgrounds? Well, I think that first and foremost, with everything in fashion, we have to start at the price point. How much is it going to cost me to make the garment that I say I want to make? Who am I marketing it to? Who is the young woman or young man or young non-gender conforming person who sees themselves in my clothing or who I see in my clothing? And thinking first and foremost about the consumer, then again, thinking about what matters to me, ethically, responsibly, morally. How am I going to ensure that the companies that I'm aligning myself with, whether they're here in America or internationally, are being honored and respected? And how am I going to make sure it's sustainable? Because again, in fashion, we have to remember, fashion is one of the biggest polluters of the planet. And right now, with the rise of fast fashion, there's a certain moral responsibility that designers have to think about when they're making these garments. How long are they going to last? How sustainable are they? What is the toll that it takes on our livelihood? So for me, as I prepare to release my collection and as I continue to build it, these are all things that I'm thinking about down the line. And even in these moments of how am I going to, again, continue to align myself with my values, my principles, my moral compass, while emerging into these industries that oftentimes have none. So uh, it's all a stepping stone, figuring it out. One thing that I always say to people is like, I'm only 21. So like the first thing you always have to do is like take a step. And once you take a step, you'll see a door is open for you. And there always will be if you're willing to put yourself in that space. So that's how I look at it. I'm clear on what my intentions are. And as I stay clear on that, I'm sure that's a pathway will open up for me to live in that intentional way. Okay. I can definitely relate to that because I too am having some inner dialogues about the ethics of entertainment. It's weird, but we're going to pivot. We're going to pivot to you and your writing and your social justice initiatives. So on June 12th at the Silence the Violence protest, you did something called the 100 Black Books Movement. Could you please kind of talk to us about that? Yeah, sure. Oh my gosh, that was amazing. So I'm one of those people that kind of just like sits and daydreams and just thinks about things. And for me, education has been such a powerful resource. Like I shared earlier with you, I love to read. So I was like, what would I do? What would be my give back if I could do anything right now in terms of having some sort of impact in the movement, what would I do? And the idea came to me to hand out books at protests at the time. And even now, still today, there's protests going on all over the country. But at the time, that was, it was very heightened, right? After the death of George Floyd in West, in New Rochelle, New York, a good friend of mine, Star Foy, her older brother, Kamal Flowers, was killed. And my brother and I were just moved to use our voices to empower the community. And 
with the 100 Black Books movement, I think that there was this need for me to share the education and the inspiration that I received from learning from all of these amazing Black writers and artists. And I felt like that was lacking within our community. So I just basically was like, hey, Instagram, like, I really want to do this. <laughs> I really want to do this thing. Like, you know, I was really inspired by my education at Howard. I went to a predominantly white, upper echelon, wealthy high school, or all-girls Catholic school, where I didn't receive a Black education. Everything that I learned was on my own. So if I could bridge that gap for another young man, young woman, or a young whomever, to be able to have access to resources and books that teach them a little bit about themselves and who they are or that they could see themselves in, to me, that's the greatest gift. Because if we could just get people to lean in a little more to reading, we would be unstoppable. I just need that. (laughs) So I'm like, hey, this is what I stand for. Instagram, I know y'all rock with me, my people. You know, if you want to support this, please do. And I mean, the response was overwhelming. I think I raised over, well over a thousand. It had to be at least $1,500 for books. So it was definitely one of those things where when we call upon our communities and we amplify our voices to say, this is what we need, or this is what I want to do, there there can be an amazing turnout. A hundred bucks, books, that was just something I'm still so proud of and hope to continue today. Mm. And I know that's something you said you want to continue, but are there other social justice initiatives that you want to start up in the future? Oh, absolutely. So I just, actually the other day, because I was on my world tour, but I, I just got back <laughs> and um, <laughs> oh, immediately I went to drop off some groceries at Feeding Westchester in Valhalla, New York, which is about uh, like 40 minutes outside the city. And for me... Again, when we look at what our needs are within our community and we decide that as a community, we're not going to let anybody go without. I think that that in the vein of everything I do, it it is rooted in that. So I hope to continue to donate groceries. I hope I will. Let me say this. I will. I'm going to claim it now. Have a big, like a family style dinner for free in my hometown of Mount Vernon in honor of my 22nd birthday. So I really want to continue to create programs, events that bring people together while also satisfying the needs of the community and also eliminating the shame of like being in need. Because it's nobody has to feel ashamed about that, you know? And I think that for me, someone who, especially within my community, you know, I, I come from a very prestigious family who's contributed a lot. So I think that It's important for me to let people know, you know, you shouldn't have to feel ashamed about that. There's nothing wrong with getting your needs met. And and as a community, the only thing we should feel ashamed about is when somebody goes without, because we don't need to allow that to happen. So there's that. And I also hope to, well, I'm getting ready to go to doula school. I'll share this with you because you're my (laughs) homegirl. And I'm getting ready to go to doula school in October. And Congratulations. Thank you. And I hope to open birthing centers in my community and have like a community garden and provide free breakfast and childcare for mothers 
who are working and are single parents and may not necessarily have the village that they need to get everything done. So that, of course, will take time and years, but these are all things that I hope to do and continue. And I'm sure there'll be a whole bunch of other stuff because I can't even help myself. So (laughs) (laughs) definitely, those are some things that come to mind immediately. All right. Well, I wish you the best with all those endeavors. You have such a good heart. Just so wholesome, so pure. (laughs) Thank you. So before we move on to the last question, I want to ask you about your writing. So when I was doing research on you, I was mainly seeing things about your social justice initiatives. I was seeing things about your fashion. But tell me, what motivates you as a writer? What type of things do you write? Can you share that with us? For me, writing has always been my safe space. When I was little, like, you know, back in the day, you had the desktop computer, the whole family shared it. So I would, whenever it was, like, my turn to, like, do anything on the computer, where really you just play on, like, word paint or whatever the thing was called at the time. <laughs> but I would always open Microsoft Word and I'd be like, my name is Madison Starbrim. And so I had vivid memories of always being drawn to telling my story. And throughout life, through the many ups and downs that we all go through, writing was one of those things that grounded me and helped me find my voice when I felt like I lost it and helped me return to myself when I felt like I was in the question of who I was. And I still have like all of my journals and my writing has always been very deeply personal. But during the during this time of movement within our community, I started to share a little bit of like the poems that I'd write or even like on my Instagram, I do tell a lot of my story in my captions. I'm always like writing something like very, if I'm moved by something that I see and it makes me think of something, I always share my thoughts about it. And to me, that has always been a way for me to stay connected with people and to let them know, like, I'm real. I'm a real person. I'm not here, like, fly shaking my shoulders on the guy. Like, this is really serious life. And I care about things and I care about people. And to me, writing has always been very personal. But this year, this is something else that I'll claim while I'm here with you, is I want to expand my work to be more of a social critic, and to share more of my thoughts through my writing. Because it's very easy for me to speak, but writing can be a little like tedious for me, just trying to articulate my ideas in a way that I feel like everyone will get from because you and I will laugh and get it, but somebody else will be like, who the hell is this? So, (laughs) you know, so just, I think for me, and I'll be honest, like going out on the skinny branch and taking a, a risk in my writing has been, has been a little bit more of a challenge, but I hope to do it more so that people can know me more for that. Because like I shared with you earlier, that's where all the rest of my skills come from, is the writing. And I've always been a writer. It's just, I never put it on the front street. Like, yeah, I, you know, I'm writing this. Like, <laughs> it was always like a or a more thing to myself, per se. So within this year, I hope to, to make more ways with that and to be able to move more people with my voice and set people free and open up those doors. All right. I wish you the best with that. And I look forward to reading it. Yeah. I like your mind. I think it's going to look great on paper. (laughs) Okay. So Madison, you're clearly on your way. You're not only as a fashion designer, not only as an activist, but also as a writer, you have lots of potential and you're already showing it. So tell me, Madison, how will you know when you've made it? Oh, that's a good question, Jade. Oh, because <laughs> now I'm about to take it like deeper and really say some shit, right? Because the 
because the idea of making it can be dense if you're not clear on what it is. And I think for me, there will never be an I made it moment because my work is deeply rooted within my people. And until I feel that the global struggle for liberation is alleviated in some sort of way, I can feel a sense of relief. But to make it, um, to me, would separate me from what it is that I can't claim to care about the most. I can't make it unless my people make it. Does that make sense? That makes sense. You know, like I can't, I don't, I don't hold myself separate and apart from my success. I feel like my success is shared amongst my community and that's what makes it so special because it has very little to do with me as an individual and more to do with the contribution that I made to the whole. And oneness to me is, or individualism, that is oneness and wholeness is completion. So I think that if I see myself in a more unified relationship within community, if I continue to see myself as a contributor to the cause and, and if I continue to take my efforts further, that is like making it every day, you know? And that feels different than that one moment because that one moment is here and then it's gone. But if my work continues to stay intentional, then I can make it every single day. Can I just tell you how excited I am to see what you do with the rest of your life? You're just, <laughs> you're just like, wow, okay. All right, cool. So can you tell the people where they can find you and your work? Yes, sure, 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 sure. Okay, you can find me at underscore Madison Star on Instagram. I do have a Twitter, but it's private because I don't need people coming to me. <laughs> I do keep my page private just because it's like, let's be human. Let, let me be human, you know? Um, but you can on Instagram. I'm going to have a lot of things in the works soon, and I'll be sure to update you as we continue into this year on, on anything that I'm doing. And just like that, it's all wrapped up. Thank you for listening to episode seven of On Their Way, a WGC production. On Their Way was created, hosted, and edited by me, Jade Madison Scott. The theme was composed by Baggio Alvarado, and the logo was created by Amaka Corey. Please leave us a review on rating on iTunes, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WithGoodCo, and tell your friends to tune in next time. After all, in the land of ears, word of mouth is king. If you really like this episode and want to support us financially, please consider buying our merchandise at our website, WGC Productions. That's how we keep everything nice and neat. You can also find this episode's show notes and transcripts at WGCProductions.com. If you're a fellow fashion designer, activist, or writer like Madison, those show notes will really come in handy because we put some references and resources in there to help you sharpen your craft. Once again, thanks for listening. I'll talk to you guys same time next week. And until then, remember, take care of yourselves.